Okay, enough of this nonsense. Good morning. Uh, I am just really excited about today, and the only problem is, is that Zev and I easily could teach for hours and not even be boring, because there's so much stuff that we have to teach you and share with you today. But we'll do the best we can and try to get what we can in. By the way, Dan Moretta informed me that um, your next uh, teacher, T.C. Ham, you've studied with him before, f- fantastic guy. Uh, apparently, he's got one little glitch, so... Uh, he can't come the very first week that he was going to come, so you're stuck with Zev and I for an extra week. Therefore, I'm open to any suggestions. Like, if you want that to be like a question and answer week in which we synthesize the whole course, we can do that. Anything you want, let, let us know, because we'll, we'll accommodate. Okay, so today, Peter's Pentecost, and notice the language. He doesn't own it, but we're looking at Pentecost, the, the great feast uh, that is central to so many things in Jewish history and also in Christian history. We're looking at it through Peter's viewpoint because obviously this is a course about Peter. So uh, here's the schematic for today. I'm going to start off by showing you a little a few things about Jerusalem. Then Zev is going to lay the foundation for all of this, however not in the order that I put it because he's had an epiphany. Now, at the heart, of the, the heart of the thing today is a question. And the question is about Peter. What did we study last week? What was, where did we leave Simon? Remember the masters at the end in John 21 when he was talking to him, when he restored him, he didn't call him Peter. He said twice to him, Simon. Three times, Simon. Do you love me? So we left him where last week? Oh, no, not in the garden, at the Sea of Galilee, right? Being restored. Well, we did leave him in the garden, but I was hoping that the spirit would have (laughs) pulled you into the next stage, right? He was in, he went fishing, he he meets Jesus, right? You know this story. And he gets restored by the master. How many times did he deny him? How many times does the master ask him, do you love me? But he never says, Peter, do you love me? He says, ooh, Simon, why did you do that? Because I think he was speaking to Simon's, Peter's humanity at that point. Dude, do you love me? Person, as a human, do you love me? That's the issue here. Not that you failed, but what? Do you love me? Yes, you failed. I want to know if you love me. Peter says he does. Now, here's the question. How does a guy go from, and I mean, I say this with all due respect, because I mean, I'm quite confident that I could say I've failed greater than Peter in my life. So this isn't about putting Peter in the dock here. But how does a guy go from denying that he even knows Jesus three times, and then 50 days later does what? No. Now, he, uh, no, he said he loved him uh, just uh, se- several days later, 10 days, seven days later. That's not a problem, of course, at the sea with the fish and the sandwiches and the fire. And I, I love you, Jesus. But how does he go from denying to 50 days later to do what? The day of Pentecost? To stand in the center of Jerusalem? To herald the risen Christ? 
And have, how does the, what does the text say? Acts 2.42, how many people received Jesus that day? Anyone remember? 3,000. And what did the master tell him a couple of weeks ago that we studied? Uh, I'm going to, well, oh no. Yeah, I know Fishers of, Fishers of Men is the um, one way of looking at it. But what's you're the other way? Ah, you're going to catch people alive. Remember when he told Peter that in that boat? After Peter said, oh, I'm so sinful. Get away from me. The master said, I know that. I, I know how sinful you are. But I'm going to do something inside of you that's going to make you to be able to catch men. So, wow, 50 days. Jack. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Thinking. You're thinking. <laughs> Which is a okay. So that's what I want you to think about. But, I mean, in the higher sense for the 21st century, we've got to make a migration from this guy to us. Right? And that's what we want to do. So Zeb's going to lay the foundation. I'm going to teach you a little bit about feast, and I'm going to try to suggest and show us how he got to where he was and where God wants us to be today. Yes? So wasn't Peter really on that bottom line on the chart you gave us yesterday? The bottom line? The chart, the one was the Holy Spirit uh, and then the lower one was that Jesus did it for you and you found grace. That certainly sounds like something I would teach, but it's escaping well, my mind right now. He did, <laughs> he did the chart. You remember the chart. It was on there. Here I am with a choice to make and bingo. And oh, Zev's chart. Yes, when he yeah. gave you the schematic of the yeah. war of the flesh and the spirit. Yes. Right, 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 right. So, yes, Peter, in intense war between the flesh and the spirit. But what is fascinating to me is how do you go from abject capitulation to the flesh to 50 days later uh, rocking the world from the center of Jerusalem, heralding the, the risen Christ? That's quite a migration. Well, I. Okay, class over. We'll see. <laughs> Yes, the Holy Spirit, right. So that's what we're going to learn today. So, Masters, uh, I, Zeb's going to come, but I want to just tell you one verse before he, he's coming. Uh, look at Luke 24, 49. This is going to set the whole thing up, which, what you're going to learn. It'll just take a minute, Zeb. I, I, and I'm going to read this out of the King James Version, unless somebody has such a version here. You do? Loud. Wait. Unbelievable. Somebody has one. <laughs> the reason that we're reading it out of the King James, though, is because they capture the poetry of the Greek perfectly. Twenty-four forty-nine. Forty-nine. And behold, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. What's that? Zev will teach you this, the Holy Spirit. You, and I, the old King James, beautiful language, tarry. What does tarry mean? To tarry. Just chill out. Just hang out. Just tarry here. And wait until what event happens. Here's the beauty. Until you be endued with power from endued on high. Endued or clothed. The metaphor really is clothing. May I take, touch your jacket? So, notice what Jesus says. 
I want you to wait in Jerusalem. This is after he's risen. And what's going to happen to you is you're going to be clothed and endued with what? Power. Power. Greek word is dunamis. Dynamite. From where? From on high. The metaphor is what? Not from this earth. From God. Oh, you got a King James. Okay, so this is what the master told them while they were sitting in Jerusalem right after he rose from the dead. And now that starts the whole sequence of events that encompasses Peter's Pentecost. Wait here until you get clothed with power from on high. Okay, Zev. Okay. Okay, I don't think I'll need the black. The All right. Um, what I'd like to do is point out a couple of things about the passage we're going to study in depth from the book of Acts. But I just want to point out one little passage that is so easily overlooked. So we're looking at Acts chapter 2. Okay. When the, you know, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Somebody want to read that? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Okay. When the day of Pentecost, and what I have, I'm actually using the New King James Version today, had fully come. Okay. Now, what I want to point out about that is, was Pentecost originally a Christian festival? It was originally a Jewish festival. In other words, they were celebrating Pentecost. What does Pentecost mean? The 50th day. Okay. Now we're going to find out the 50th day of what? Okay. The Hebrew name is Shavuot, Feast of Weeks. Shavuot is the plural of weeks, uh, of week. Okay, now, there were two significance. Significances, significi, I don't know, uh, to Shavuot. One was agricultural, and this is how it gets his name of Feast of Weeks, or um, Pentecost, on the second day of Passover. Okay, the first Passover is seven days. It has a solemn assembly on the first day and the last day. All those seven days, you're eating unleavened bread. Can I draw on the board while you're doing it? Okay. On the second day, something very interesting happens. It's the first of the intermediate days of Passover, A special offering took place. It was the offering of a sheaf, or in Hebrew, omer, of barley, which represented the first fruits of the barley harvest. Now, one of the interesting things about that, and I'm hoping John asked me about this, is that up until the offering of the omer, the fruit or the grain of that year's cutting 
could not be eaten under any circumstances. It was called hadash, or new. You had to make do up until that point with last year's harvest of grain. Okay? And then you began what was called the counting of the Omer. I'm not going to read through this, but if you look at Leviticus 23, 9 through 14, it talks about counting out seven weeks. Now, that's seven times seven, and then you add one. This is a formula that's found in a couple of places. And so you get 50, which is like a perfect seven. Seven times seven plus one. So you count with the second day of Passover being day one. You count the Omer until the 50th day. And the 50th day is the feast of Shavuot, weeks, which is also known as Chag Habikurim, the festival of first fruits. Now, it's, it's, also, it's especially the first fruits. You know, the Omer, you offer the first fruits of the barley harvest. That's very important. But the other first fruits are offered on Shavuot. And there you bring the first fruits of the wheat harvest as an offering in the temple because wheat came in somewhat later in that area than barley. Now, it's interesting. The other first fruits that were offered were the seven fruits by which the land of Israel was praised, which are wheat, barley. Okay, I've got to get my, I, there, there are different lists I've got here. Eretz Chita uh, grapes or vines, gefen, rimon, v'te'ena, pomegranates and figs. So wheat, barley, grapes, pomegranates, figs. Eretz zait shemen udvash. Uh, a land of oil, olives, olives for oil, and honey, meaning honey not from bees, but from dates. So dates were one of the seven fruits. And people would bring from all over the land the first fruits of these seven produce things uh, and offer them in the temple. It was very festive. It was very festive. And so that is the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost um, in terms of its agriculture. And so the first fruits of the wheat harvest and all first fruits of the land, wheat, barley, vines, pomegranates, figs, oil, olives, and dates. I had it written down here. I didn't need to do that. But it was also had a historical significance because if you remember just before the Exodus, when God is commanding the people to make the Passover sacrifice, he begins that in Exodus with a very interesting sort of passage. He says, this month shall be for you what? The first of months. The month of Aviv, of the spring. Because originally the Jewish year started in spring. And that remained for kings the way they would date their reign is the first year of their reign was from the time they were crowned king till the first of the month of Aviv 
and then they would start the second year of their reign. Um, so this will be the first of months for you. Now, if you take the second day of Passover, which would have been the 16th day of the month of Aviv, and that's day one, and then you count 50 days from there, you will end up with the sixth of the third month, the sixth day of the third month. Now, what happened to the children of Israel in the third month after they came out from Egypt? Anybody know this? Where did they arrive on the first day of the third month since coming out of Egypt? What? No, long way from the Jordan. Somewhere, if anything, even more important than the promised land itself. Sinai, who said Sinai? Perfect. They arrived at Sinai. Now, if you look at Exodus 19, we're not gonna do the whole thing. Okay. And I'm looking at 19, one through two. Okay, who wants to read? Okay. Oh, we got it. Sorry. Okay. Now, first of all, it's the third month. Okay, so we've done our counting. They've arrived, and in this version, so Israel camped there before the mountain. Now, there's something incredibly important about the Hebrew there. That is, the word camped is in the singular. It's in the singular. All Israel camped as one before the mountain. Now, up until this point, Israel had, you know, you'd, you'd already been through a whole lot of things like complaining about the water, lack of water and everything else and God knows what all. And Jethro had come and done the first clergy burnout seminar and, and workshop in, in recorded history with Moses and so on and so forth. There was one thing you could definitely say, they were not one. But the rabbis affirm this is crucial to what was to happen at Sinai, that all Israel camped singular before the mountain, that at this point, all Israel was one. They were one together. You have not murdered anything, I'm sure. Okay. John, your microphone is still on. All right, let's make there. sure this isn't on so I don't <laughs> okay. talk about Melchizedek. Anyway, about okay. Uh, and that's an important detail because where were the disciples on the day of Pentecost? Melchizedek, okay. Well, they were all together as one. They were all together as one. 
So that links these two. Now, what was it that Israel received at Sinai? Can I do any of these over here? Can I go back over here? Well, the Ten Commandments, yeah, but who said the law? So, Okay. Uh, again, I want us to start thinking about this, not in terms of the Greek word nomos, meaning law, but Torah, the divine instruction. This is the festival that also commemorates the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah. It's called Chag Matan Toratenu, the feast of the giving of our Torah. Okay, so these are its two significances. All right, these are its two significances. Now, we're going to go to the book of Acts. Yo. Um, first of the feast of the first fruits. Okay. So the question you have to ask is first fruits of what? Okay. Now we're looking at, I want us to go, we're not going to do Peter's speech, but I want us to look at the event. So I, we're in Acts 2, um, verses 1 through 13. Do we have a microphone available for whoever is reading? Okay. Who wants to read? I'll read. Okay. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Philgia, Philamia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judea, Judea Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. 
we heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Okay. Okay. So, what two things did the apostles receive at this Pentecost? What? The Holy Spirit. And what else? Talking in tongues. Now, the word that's usually used for that is the term glossolalia. Okay. I think I spelled it correctly. Don't, you know, I run that past spell check for me, somebody. Okay. Now, is that really what's happening? What did the people who gathered around hear? Their own languages. It was not an, quote, angelic language or a celestial language. They heard it in their own language. But who was speaking? They're all Galileans. So what does this tell you? Whatever it was that the Galileans were saying was understandable by people regardless of where they came from. Does this remind you of something that may have been mended by this? Babel, thank you. Absolutely. So let us go back to Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Okay, Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Okay, someone like to read? Okay. Okay, there's a pun in Hebrew there because the word for confused is balal, balal. Therefore, it was called Babel. Actually, Babel means the gate of God. But they're doing a little pun here saying that Babel really means that's the place where God, balal, confused the language of the earth. Now, before that, they were all of one language, what language was that? 
Where have we seen the use of language in a significant way before that? And we've talked about it in this class. What? No. What's the language, what's the first language human beings spoke? In Genesis. What's the first time human beings use language? Wait, to name all the animals, exactly. Which was quite exactly like who had used language before to name things. God had. So what was the language that they were speaking up until Babel? It was divine language. It was the language of creation. How many of you ever read a marvelous uh, series of novels by Ursula K. Le Guin, the Earthsea Trilogy? Uh, wizard of Earthsea is about a young wizard who goes to the island of Roke, where wizards are trained, and most of what he has to do there is to learn what is called the language of the making. The language of the making. And in large part, what he has to do is learn the name in the language of the making of everything so that he can control it. Uh, now, the reason I sort of bring that in as a kind of a metaphor is what they had been speaking up until the Tower of Babel was the language of creation, the language of God, if you will, the language of divine things. So what didn't they understand afterwards? They didn't understand the language of creation anymore. They didn't understand divine language anymore. It was as if God was speaking a foreign language that none of them knew. So what's happening at Pentecost? What's being restored? The language of God so that they could now begin speaking the language that Adam had used to talk about the things of God. So now they could begin to recite the mighty acts of God. Now, yeah. They would make a name for themselves, okay? And again, it's that same thing. Well, how would Adam, what had Adam done to the animals? He'd given them a name. But, but it says here the reason was so they would not be scattered. Right. After Pentecost, well, but they were all together in one place. There's a difference. There's a difference between being scattered and what happened to them after Pentecost? What, what did they do? They were sent. There's a lot of difference between being scattered and being sent. When you're scattered, you don't know where you're going or why. When you're sent, you know why you're going. You're on a mission. Okay, another thing though is they wanted to make a name for themselves. Okay. They were not satisfied with God's names. 
They were not satisfied with God's name for them. We want to make a name for ourselves now. Okay? So what are they really trying to do? They're trying to infringe on the divine prerogative of naming. Okay? So thank you for pointing that out. Now, the other main gift they received was the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we get to Paul's speech, he quotes one of the so-called minor prophets, Joel. And I don't want to go into too much detail because time marches on. Okay? And so we're looking at Joel 2:28 to 32. Who wants to read? Then afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female slaves in those days. I will pour out my spirit. I will show portents in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Ah! Okay. Now, Peter doesn't quote the whole speech that I've had you read. Where was this deliverance going to come according to Joel when the Spirit is poured out on all flesh? On Mount Zion. Where were the disciples on that first Pentecost that they celebrated together? They were in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Okay. Now, did everybody who was in Jerusalem receive the gift of the Spirit at that point? No. How many people got converted? 3,000. That's a pretty small fraction of the number of people who were there on pilgrimage for Shavuot. <sighs> Hate to say it, but what you're talking about here is the remnant. The remnant is the word that the King James uses. A remnant whom the Lord calls. That's why the mission was so vital because the mission of the apostles was to bring the call of God to the remnant. And who did Jesus tell his disciples to go to? The lost sheep of the house of Israel, but then afterwards to all nations, all flesh, okay? Got to move fast. Now, where have we also seen the promise of the gift of a spirit, along with a new heart. Not in Jeremiah, close, I'm getting to Jeremiah, but Ezekiel, 
Did you say Ezekiel? Yes, Ezekiel 36. Very good. This group remembers lessons Because she past. reads the King James. Okay. Okay, Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28. Okay. All right, anyone volunteer? Ezekiel 36, 24 to 28. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land and I will give that I gave your forefathers and you will be my people and I will be your God. Okay, tons of stuff in this brief passage that we've just heard read. First of all, what is he going to sprinkle them with? What? Clean water. What is the most common metaphor for the spirit that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John in particular? Living water. Ah, and so what are they going to get? A new heart and what? A new spirit, because what is God going to do? What spirit is he going to put in them? My spirit, God says. God's spirit. And what's going to be the result of this new heart and new spirit? What's it going to cause them to do? Walk in the commandments of God. And how does this passage end up in Ezekiel with that formula? What does God say about their relationship? I will be your God and you will be my people. What is that formula? What is the word that with that formula? Covenant, thank you. Good Presbyterians that you are. Covenant. Now we turn to Jeremiah 31 and 34. Jeremiah, thir- and, and this is the one passage, if anybody says, you know, do you, are you able to quote scripture, chapter and verse? This is about the only one I know, chapter and verse. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and so I'm going to read it. Okay. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall everyone teach his neighbor and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, 
For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. What was being grafted into the hearts of the people with the gift of the Spirit? The Torah, divine instruction, not necessarily according to the literal reading of every jot and tittle, but in terms of the spirit of what the Torah was. And what is the Torah, or whom does the Torah meant to point us to? To Jesus, to Christ, okay? And this is gonna be the new covenant, and so what was taking place in that event at Pentecost? And why at Pentecost? What does Pentecost celebrate historically? What? Historically. The giving of the Torah. So what is being done for the apostles on Pentecost? They're being given the Torah written in their hearts. They're being given the Torah written in their hearts. That's why it had to take place on Shavuot. Okay, now, the other significance of Shavuot, of Pentecost, you mentioned the agricultural. First fruits. So who were the 3,000 converted? They were the first fruits. They were the first fruits. Okay? I've probably run over, but John? This is perfectly fine. Really great. Did I totally blow your presentation? Good. Uh, And also, I apologize for having this on next door. They had a question about Melchizedek next door, and I think they sent for the wrong guy. (laughs) (laughs) Should I had you over there? I was otherwise occupied. I understand that. Okay, now let's get, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. that. I mean, to me, when the Lord first taught me this, the sequencing, and how it all lines up, that this could go on. When did Moses receive the law? When did it was given? When did that Sinai event take place? Anyone remember, Cindy Friley? 1444 B.C. So for 1,500 years up until Jesus, what did the Jews do? Every year, boom, boom, boom. Passover, first fruits, Shavuot. 1,500 years. Think about that, how that would pound that template into your consciousness. And to have it all sequenced and have it all perfect... And then to have Jesus come along and do what? Just happen to get crucified on the very day where the lambs were being slaughtered for Passover. Just happen to spring forth from the ground as what the New Testament calls him. He is the ultimate what? He's the first fruit. He's the first fruits. He's the first one. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He's the first one to spring up out of the ground alive. He's the harbinger of the harvest. And then it just so happens that, boom, you start counting, 
boom, 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 seven weeks plus one. And here's where it gets interesting to me. Because everybody always wants to grab in that back park pocket and get the Jesus card out. Jesus was God. Because he told them after he rose from the dead, dies, resurrects, he sees them, and then he's got how many days does Luke say in Acts 1? How many time, how much time did he spend? From, from uh, here until about here. Does anyone remember? 40 days, thank you. That's what he says in Luke 1. 40 days. So the master is alive and seeing them over this period of 40 days. And so at a certain point, when we're getting near the end, the text that I wrote to, read to you at the beginning, the master says, uh, what? What did he tell him? Use the old King James. Oh, yeah, I'm going to my father. What's the word he uses? King James. Terry, hang out, chill, do not leave the city, wait here. Because okay. in not many days, that's what Jesus said, not very many days from now, you're going to be endued, clothed with power from on high. So how did Jesus know this was going to happen? And everyone's, because he's God. I mean, he was, and he is, but that's not how he knew that. How did he know it? Think about what it must be like to be hanging on the cross, being crucified, and knowing that you're, this is being done to you out of fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Wow. You get laid in the grave, and you're counting as a human being, Jesus, as a true human. He's counting on what? He put everything down on the table. He said, if I give my life up, what will God do? What's the promise? He will raise me from the dead. He had to do that as a human. So he lays his life down. He gets crucified. He gets put in the grave. And sure enough, according to the Christian story, what happens? On the third day, God raised. What that, what that must have been like for Jesus the man. Can you imagine that? To be slaughtered and three days later, God brings your body back to life and not only back to life, but better, immortal. So then... You would think that the master would say, well, what is that phrase that people say, my job is done here? You would think Jesus would say that, right? My job is done, that's good enough. I died for the sins of the world and I rose from the dead. But he then starts a process over the next 40 days, and you must keep this in your mind when you want to understand Peter's Pentecost. Okay, he, quick footnote, the number 40. What else, where else do we see the number 40? What? 40 years in the wilderness? What? What? Well, not Noah's Ark. 40 years in the wilderness, something else happening in connection with the Torah. How long was Moses up on Mount Sinai? 40 days. So this is all sequentially. I'm trying to get you to think. This is accidental, right? This just happened. 1,500 years of this sequencing. And the master gets here and he goes, I mean, Jesus was a human, right? He was a carpenter. He could figure out inches and he could count, right? So he goes, what's the Bible say? I die on uh, Passover. I get raised on first fruits. He's standing here outside the tomb and he was like, wow, it really happened. God said it in the Bible. 
let yourself get crucified and I will raise you from the dead the third day. Don't you think Jesus was exalting as a human, as a man? He didn't, like in the movies, he always walks off. (laughs) Cool and serene. Come on, he's alive. I won, God won. And then he starts showing up to people. And it's so cool. Now, the Bible tells us we don't have all this information. They give certain selected episodes just to give you a taste. Uh, The master is immortal now. Does he need to sleep? Eat? He eats for fun, but not not for energy. He's in a different body. So what do you think? 40 days? You can do a lot in 40 days when you can work all day. And he's boom, boom. Now, all I only had the time to show you is a couple, but find Luke 24, 27. And now you're going to see how they got prepared for Pentecost. And, most importantly, what I want you to see is how this can happen, very important, for each one of us. This is not a story not for us. So we get to Luke 24, 47, and what does it say? Who's reading? 27. Actually, I'm going to have to do it because we're running out of time. Jesus is speaking, or about Jesus. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This, of course, is on the Emmaus Road. So this is an episode within this period of time, somewhere... And boom, the master meets these two guys on the Emmaus Road. And what does he do? Number one, what's the first thing he does? They don't even know who he is. He takes uh, this section of the Bible, which he's got in his head, and they're walking. It's about a three-hour walk. And what's he doing all this time with these guys? But he, doesn't have, he doesn't need a Bible. He's like me. Bad joke. Come on, you guys are so tight today. What's... So he's doing this for them. Okay, next text. Uh, 2432. The text is being opened by the rabbi. They don't even know who he is. Verse 32. What happened to them in verse 32 that they're describing about verse 24. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he did what? What is, it's metaphorical, right? What does it mean, open? Yeah, yeah, he's like opening the scriptures to them, helping them see all this stuff. All this, what Zev just did, all these things, and more, 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 was all pointing to the master. Now, the next one. 24, 44 through 45. It gets better and better. Ready? And he said to them, these are the things which I spoke to you while I was with with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in where? The Torah. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Nevaim. 
Kituvim, that's the threefold division of the Jewish Bible, T-N-K, Tanakh. They made an acronym, acronym out of it. Torah, prophets, writings. Now the master says what? He doesn't just take the Torah. He goes, he's, he's where now? He's in the prophets. He's in the Psalms. And he's doing what for these guys? He's opening their, showing them, teaching them. And then look at verse 45. Then he opened what? Oh. What's the first thing he opened? The second thing he did was is that? What is that? <laughs> How can he do that? How can Jesus do that? Well, uh, yeah, 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 he's God. But there's another reason. What has happened to him? What? He's the teacher and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the illuminator. He's the channel. What can he do? He lets the Holy Spirit go right through him and go boom. And what happens to the people that are open. They get enlightened. Now do you see, I'm showing you all of this because it's not like the, the, Peter went, went a fishing and then 50 days later had some cosmic spiritual experience and all of a sudden he started no, no. What happened was they had these events happen to them and then what? They repeatedly see Jesus over and over and over again and every time they see him he does what? takes the scriptures. Again, he doesn't have a copy with him, doesn't need it. Just opens, teaches, illuminates. 40 days. So, you know I don't believe in formulas, right? Yes, it is. I don't. But here is the closest thing you're going to get to a formula. If you want to have Peter's Pentecost, and I'm serious about this, what are the constituent elements? You need well, okay. The, you need the words of God. What else do you need? Time. What? Time. Well, a little bit of time, because I'm, I'm giving you today the 50-day challenge. It's the 50-day challenge. What do you need? The, the words of God. Uh, where does that come from? The Holy Spirit, symbol for the Holy Spirit, the Greek word pi. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, can take the words of God and do what? Make the ultimate Christological experience in your heart and mind, just like happened to Peter. Are you any worse than Peter or better than Peter? You're just a human. He's just a human. And God took him from, from a denier in over 50 days that he can stand with the supernatural illumination of the Holy Spirit and the teaching that Jesus gave him and radiate this out in such a way that it's actually what's really happening on Pentecost when you really get down to it. What's really going on? Who's really teaching? It's really the Lord Jesus. It's the risen Christ inside of Peter and the Holy Spirit working in and through him that is teaching the people. Now, just a quick question. Would you like to have that experience? Yes. yes. Now, God's really mean, so you're going to have to beg and cry and grovel. 
The master said, if you being evil know how to give good, 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 give good gifts to your babies, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? God wants this for us. So the 50-day challenge is, because I don't believe in formulas, but we have the constituent elements. Holy Spirit, I want you over the next 50 days to take the words of God and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and illuminate my consciousness so that when is 50 days from now? It'd be about December 1st, wouldn't it? I will have a renewed Christological experience, something akin to Peter's on the day of Pentecost. Ready for You ready to do it? Or are you going to go watch the Browns? Well, they've got to go through Good Friday first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's pray together before you go. Thank you for your patience. God, thank you so much. Unbelievable how you have woven this cosmic scheme together. It it just seems beyond accidental. But more than that, we know from our hearts and our experience that you live inside of us. And for myself and my friends, we pray. Will you take the words of God and the Spirit of God and produce inside of us an experience and a knowing of you, Jesus, that isn't just doctrine or words, but you, the true and living Christ, alive forevermore, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you. God bless you. We'll see you.